0: Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode.
1: Here in episode number 52, we have a discussion with Pastor Carl Day. An inner city pastor in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Glen Ridge, New Jersey, for Culture Changing Christians Worship Center, as well as the president and founder of the outreach nonprofit organization, Culture Changing Christians Incorporated. We had Pastor Carl on to discuss the issues of race, reaching those that society has forgotten, and honestly, to get a little lesson in Hodology 101, as he would call it. We learned a lot and had a great discussion, and hope you enjoyed this week's discussion with Pastor Carl.
0: Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host Tim Whitaker, joined with my lovely co-hosts Rob Michael, Jordan Renault. Hello, gentlemen. How's it going?
1: We are good. It's going great, Tim.
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you're speaking on behalf of uh, of Rob now, Jordan. So.
2: I am. Yeah, I just figured. You know, there's two of us. We neither of us talk a whole lot. So we'll just, I'll just talk for both of us. We usually agree.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what's funny about agreeing, actually? Uh, Jordan, you and I agree way more in person than on text message. And so every time a topic comes up that we disagree with over text message, I'm always ready to have a huge argument on our (laughs) podcast. And then it never happens. And then I'm kind of disappointed because I want us to fight to give the people what they want, which is an argument. But it never happens that way.
1: But I will have all of the listeners know that they do argue it out over text message at like 1.30 in the afternoon. So I'm like sitting in the middle of a meeting and just. Zzz, zzz,
2: zzz, zzz, zzz. <laughs> That's why we choose that time, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, Rob can't even get a word in. Yes. <laughs> Finally, some time to ourselves. Jordan, by yeah. the way, did you shave yeah. recently? I did. Yeah. Thank you for noticing. You're welcome. Tim said I looked lovely.
0: You did. You look very lovely. Um, Yeah. We also have Pastor Carl on the podcast as our guest tonight. Pastor Carl, good to see you.
3: Man, it's good to be seen. Good to be here, man. I appreciate it.
0: For sure. I'm looking forward to our conversation today um, or tonight. It's going to be a great time. So thanks for joining and taking time out of your, I think you pastor two churches. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Oh, I can't wait to ask you about that. How, how does one man pastor two churches? So I'm sure we'll get into that tonight. <laughs> and I see you're wearing your Star Wars hat. Are you excited for the, um, the new Star Wars trailer that, that dropped recently?
3: Man, forgive me. I'm such a poser when it comes to Star Wars. <laughs> um, I, honestly, yo, I get so many comments about stuff. I love, my wife's an artist. I love art too. A lot of comic art stuff. So I like the vintage Star Wars art. You know what I'm saying? I got t-shirts, all that stuff for days like the hat and people start trying to talk to me about the movies and i haven't seen one i'm like are am horrible. horrible. i'm so serious Wait, hold man on, hold
0: on. <laughs> you're wearing a star wars hat but you have not seen one star wars movie
3: nah man i haven't seen one movie man so you got to forgive me man for that dang
0: i do i forgive you but i'm not sure if our audience will forgive you that's on that I can't control. Do we, do we
2: have a Do we have a lot of Star Wars fans in our audience?
0: Oh, tons, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So many, <laughs> so many. Um, well, are, Pastor Carl, are you like a Marvel fan? Are you ready uh, for the Avengers movie? Man, I'm, I'm I'm big time Marvel fan. If I if I if I flip
3: my laptop around, you see my 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 my, my Marvel comics posters hanging in this office of mine. You know, uh, super Marvel fan. Wolverine is the the god. You know, um, you know, not God, God, of course, right, you right. know, we got, we got to be clear. We <laughs> got
0: to be clear, but you know, God, you know, pastor, that's my <laughs> man. <laughs> it's
1: it's <laughs> a lesser Elohim. As yeah, here we as go.
0: As we discovered. Um, I am. Th- I cannot wait for end game. I have. I'm so pumped. I told the guys last a couple weeks ago, I bought 24 tickets the second they went on sale for prime seating, Dolby cinema, 10 p.m. Showing. So I am. I cannot wait for this movie to happen. Sheesh. 24. Listen, listen, my first, we go hard at the paint. We go hard. And so I was waiting Seven forty one hit. The tickets went live. Boom, boom, boom. Picking them up like crazy. I got 24. I'm proud of it. (laughs) My wife wasn't proud of it, but I was proud of it. (laughs)
2: I did enjoy the Facebook comment we got recently because last week Tim talked about how many tickets for <laughs> Avengers Endgame he bought, and he said he bought I don't know how you said it. You were nine, like yeah, I, I bought nine, and then I bought like eight uh, more, yeah, yeah. and then I had twenty four. And yeah. so Tim got called out on his math.
0: <laughs> the math <ability>. did not <laughs> uh, My point is, is he said I got twenty four tickets. Uh, so Pastor Carl, do you have any? Uh, if you had to try and guess how Endgame is going to go, do you have any any theories?
3: You know what, man, it's it's so hard because it's I've read so many theories, man. Um I don't know, man. I think I think I definitely think Cap's not not sticking around.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel. I think
3: I think Buck I, I think Bucky's gonna take it over. We know that Disney uh has a, a up and coming um Falcon and, and, and Winter Soldier, you know what I'm saying, show coming up. So uh I definitely don't think Cap's returning. I think T'Challa's not coming back either. You don't I, think so? No, nah, I don't think so. I oh. think I—I I, I mean, I've been reading some things too, but I—I don't—I I don't, I don't think—I don't think he's uh going to I think he may be out of that phase. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm not sure, man, because it's like I don't know if they're going to play it through the comics. Of course, they're not because it's obviously it's guys that they can't include in this movie because of the rights and all of that. So I, I'm I'm kind of you know I'm trying to go open minded. You know, what I'm saying I've been trying to stay away because I've heard like oh. 20 minutes of it has been. I know.
0: And I know. I'm, I'm, I'm I tired of been. reading stuff. <laughs> I have like in place. I mean, I I don't want to know anything. I don't want to click on anything. Yeah. I'm just sticking to, to my 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 trusted non-spoiler sites. But yeah, anyway, I, I can't wait for the movie either. I'm ecstatic. I'm pumped. I do agree I think Kappa's is going to go. I think Tony is going to become like the wise old sage who kind of pops in throughout movies at the right time, kind of, kind of to give that pep talk to Spider-Man. Like, all right, kid, I know times are tough, but I'm going to come in this scene and say, <laughs> "Hey, I'm going to help you out." Then I'm going to, I'm going to walk out of the bar real slow, and that's all you're going to get of Tony Stark. That's my guess. I have no clue. I just know I can't wait. So I'm Same. glad you're a Marvel fan. I'm glad. I'm glad that. I mean, we're in for a good discussion of all Marvel fan theories tonight, so. <laughs> but you did grow up in Philly, right? You grew up here. You're, you're, you're a local guy? Yes, sir. North so Philly. your whole life was Philly? Yep. And what was that like growing up in Philly for you? Oh, man, it was,
3: it was a jungle. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, uh, Growing up, uh, my, my real father was you know, never around. Uh, he was in and out of jail. Uh, and never really had a relationship with him. Um, I mean, I kind of want to say typical, you know what I'm saying? Cause I mean, honestly, unfortunately, man, growing up in Philly, the inner city, the ghetto, you know, it's, it's kind of like the typical life, you know what I'm saying for people. Uh, but you know, you got to navigate your way through things. Um, kind of more so be like, you know, in survival mode. Um, and you know, unfortunately seeing friends of mine go to jail, uh, get killed at young ages. Um. yeah, man. I mean, that's Philly for you. You know, it's a lot, a lot of stuff that, you know, you you, you end up being subjected to um, at a young age to where it becomes your societal norm. Um, and until you start to really uh, navigate through other spaces, you start to realize like, yo, this isn't normal. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, my, my section in North Philly was one of the toughest parts of the city, man, at one point. You know what I'm saying? So uh, growing up, man, it was it, it was difficult. It was rough. But I, I feel like, you know, it also prepared me. For a lot of things too, you know, spe- especially being on this other side, you know what I mean. So, um yeah, it's a little, little, little bit of what it was like.
0: What were things in particular for you growing up in Philly that that made it difficult? Was it just the atmosphere? I mean, you said that, that you didn't have a father around, you know, but what other things made it hard to grow up in Philly? Um, well,
3: I, I will say, I will say, um, I did, I did have a stepfather, you know, who 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 uh, helped raise me with my mom. But um, some of the some of the difficult things though, growing up in Philly. I feel like, you know, for one, the poverty in itself is serious, um, and, but it's also the influence. It's the influence in the, the allure uh, that the streets has, you know, on a lot of people growing up in Philly. Because uh, we talk often about poverty, but at the same time, there are plenty, majority of the world's in poverty. But, but the mentality of community is not the same. And I think a lot of that stems from the influence that, you know, hip hop has, street culture has, um, you know, you got systemic, you know, racism, oppression and how to, you know, drugs came in, how drugs hit communities. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a very, very, uh, unique, uh, way of life that you grow up, you know, like friends of mine were ended up serving crack to other friends of mine, mother, you know, and that was just like, that's, that's, that was life. You know what I'm saying? So Um, You know, you would try not to do it in front of your friend or sometimes the friend would just know his mom is is on drugs, his dad is on drugs. And that's just what it is. Um, And that's just the reality. Sometimes they're selling their own parents drugs. You see what I'm saying? And that was just that was that was what we grew up around. So um, I I would say that, you know, um, trying to, you know, find and discover yourself uh, in the midst of all of that, um, trying to seek relevancy uh, to your community. you had to make a lot of decisions that would ultimately compromise who you wanted to become ultimately, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we made a lot of uh, short term decisions um, that cost a lot of us dearly, you know? Um, And uh, I think that some of those are like the, the, the troubles and the struggles that a lot of people don't really realize, you know, you can't get that out of like reading, you know, some book that, you know, somebody, read and just wanted to drop stats on you the way people do you know what i'm saying (laughs) and it's a lot of people that read these books and they and they quote the statistics and they're quoting psychologists and everything else but it's like a lot of you know a lot of people who really been through it uh can paint that picture totally different um and and bring you there you know what i'm saying so yeah it's a a very it's a life that i probably wouldn't want for anybody which is also what fuels me to do what i do on a regular you know what i'm saying so
0: yeah. So, did did you grow up with uh, Christian influences around you, or did you did that come in come in later on in life? Yeah, that came
3: later on in life. You know, so my, my mom attends church because I planted one. You know, so <laughs> okay. but um, you know, praise God for that too. But um, but but yeah. So, nah, I didn't really have any Christian influences. Um, my great grandmother was like Jehovah Witness. Uh, you know, so like, that was like the closest I would see to like some type of example of somebody taking their faith series. She used to go to the hall all the time. Um, she never made us go or nothing. Uh, but, uh, it was just like, you know, I was probably the only person that I knew that was actually like religious. Uh, but yeah, I, I certainly encountered Christ later on in life. Um, and you know, so. You know, I didn't have any real Christian influences around me, but I will say this. I always kind of like felt like I believed in Jesus, you know what I'm saying? But I didn't really know what it meant to believe in Jesus, but I just knew I wasn't like Muslim. A lot of my homies from the streets, uh, you know, ended up converting. Um, and I guess that's like kind of a later discussion, uh, as we go along, maybe, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, you know, a lot of them converted, uh, for, for various reasons and we can talk about that too. But, um, yeah, but I just always felt like, you know, I believed in Jesus Um, and kind of like went to, uh, actually I used to go to this little camp that was like around the corner from my, uh, from my house. Um, and, uh, it was funny because like we, I learned a lot of like Christian songs because it was like, they had a summer camp, you know what I mean? And they taught us these songs about Jesus and whatnot. Um, to the point where I started to go to church later and I'm like, yo, I sung this before, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the dope things about it was, you know, uh, they were actually white people too. Like they had this church. Um. And, you know, um, yeah, this, just guy, Pastor Ben, and, and and it was like, they really had took us to trips and everything else. So that was the, that was my encounter with church, like back in the day, that was it. But I never went, never really like followed through, never read the Bible or nothing like that. But, you know, that was kind of that.
0: Rob, you raised your hand earlier and I, I saw that I didn't call on you. So did you want to ask a question? <laughs> 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 Tim gave this great uh, example
1: before of, hey, just so you know, we raise our hands so because we can all see each other on video. And he just completely ignored
0: no, his No, hold advice. on. I didn't ignore. I missed you. By the time the question came out, I realized. So go ahead, Rob. <laughs> well, now I
1: got to go backwards. Go so ahead. I
0: was just going to drop it. Nah, just go backwards.
1: <laughs> but you were talking about what it was like to to grow up in that kind of culture. And while I didn't, grow up in that culture one of my best friends grew up in Camden mm. and I I distinctly remember just hanging out with him and him always talking about that is just you know the allure of going back I got my friends I I you know it's, it's just the way life is there and I remember I don't think he would mind me saying this but he actually um, started dating a girl that lived in Michigan and he was like, you know, I, I got to move. If I'm going to get out of this life and get out of the cycle and and break what I'm stuck in, I got to move. And he actually moved out to Michigan, and he's been doing really well out there. But it was, you know, because he looks back at his family, and his family is, for the most part, still stuck in that cycle. And it's just a never-ending grind. And I know it wears on him to see his family like that too. But it's, I definitely can... I've seen it firsthand, not myself, but people I'm very close with that. It's just, it's, it's, it's entrapping to to grow up in it and try to escape. And it just, it's more difficult than us on the outside. Think looking in, we're like, Oh, why don't you just leave? It's not that easy.
3: Yep, You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right, man. And you know, um, you yeah, I've actually, well, shout out to Camden cause I have a, one of our ministers in training is from Camden. So like, he still lives in Camden. So he comes across to Philly and he works at our ministry in Philly. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's really the reality. Like you, you almost have to leave. Um, unfortunately, some people get the perspective and the narrative's been created that like, you know, you leave the hood, but some people never come back to the hood. And you know, that's really the attitude, but it's a lot to go into that as well. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's really, it's, it's, it's really, really difficult and not many people understand it. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's
0: hard. It's Carl, what what do you think makes it so difficult to get out of? Because, I, you know, like Rob said, I, I did not grow up that way. I'm on the outside looking in, and it's definitely easier said than done with a lot of things in life, not just with this in particular. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like there is a narrative um, that says, "Well, just get a better job, get an education." get off the streets. And, you know, you have the opportunity in front of you to better yourself. Uh, so if you don't do that, it's not on us to help out with that. That's on you. That, that's your own personal choice to stay in that situation. What, what do you, what, like, what's your response to that? And, and why do you think it's so difficult to break that cycle?
3: Well, um, I'll be honest, a lot of black people don't like my answer to this. Um, it, it, and I mean, I'm perfectly fine with it, but like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm serious. I stand on truth, and I mean, I say, it and I mean it, but, um, honestly, it, it's kind of, it's kind of twofold because like at, at one point in time, just to like, kind of give y'all like hood allergy one-on-one, nice. um, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> but like, you know, so like, like at one point in time, yes, it was like, okay, this is a way of life or this is the way people would make a living. And this is how people had to do what they had to do to make it through and whatnot. Right or it was because you know the dope game was like very very lucrative you know what i'm saying like i'll take you to a corner right now right this is i'll paint a picture for you right and, and like if you go to a corner now you'll see 10 kids there seven of them probably got drugs seven of them probably got the same drug there's drugs on every single corner in the blocks we're talking inner city blocks so they're right next to each other you know so everybody has the same product the market's oversaturated and you know it's seven of y'all that that got the same product so you got to take turns you got to be like yo you got the last cell let me get that cell right and then let's just say all of us on the corner right we all smoke weed so we're all buying weed throughout the course of the day and we're smoking weed um and then we all get our little platter from like the 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 chinese store or the poppy store or the bodega or whatever you know um so by the time we all go in the house we probably got 36 in cash and we've been outside for 12 hours you know what I'm saying. So, like, I'm on the blocks, and I'm telling them like, f- financially, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Tim. Now, so you ask, like, okay, uh, why is it so hard to pull or break free from? Truth of the matter is this: um, the influence that hip hop culture has on the culture itself brings that allure to it. So, uh, while 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 it seems like you know it's foolish, but we have to remind ourselves. Wherever a person is, they always seek relevancy no matter what their demographic is. So if you grow up in the suburbs, you know, you want to do whatever's hip or cool. You see what I'm saying? So like if you're in a condition or you're in an area where it's like you're frowned upon if you didn't get accepted to a good college, like you're going to feel like the outcast, but you're going to strive to get to school because you don't want to be the one that says, oh, you want a community? You see what I'm saying? Like, yo, you didn't get a full ride. So so that's something you strive for. And that's the power that culture and influence has. So within these inner cities right now, uh, one thing we cannot tap dance around is the influence that hip-hop has. Many of these kids are out here not because it makes money, but because of the aura that comes along with it, the stigma that it carries. So It's not cool or you're not viewed or deemed as cool when you're the guy that goes to school or you're the guy that's trying to create an app or you're trying to get into the tech world or you're a techie or you're a comic head or whatever it is that you may be. But truth of the matter is the girls date the dope boys. You know what I'm saying? You got guys that are, you know, uh, minorities that work for the post office, but are quoting rap lyrics as if they're moving packages when they're really just, you know, delivering packages. You see what I'm saying? So, 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 but that's the power and the influence in the pool that the culture has right now, Um, and it's almost like we romanticize it to a point. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, with that, it's hard to break free from that stigma and that allure when when that literally controls our culture, it controls the narrative, it controls the way people want to operate and conduct themselves. You know how many times I've sat with mothers um, who A, uh, because I work with, you know, really work with, uh, you know, advocate for those that are fighting the justice system and they have their sons, who have open court matters, and they're like, we didn't raise him this way. Like, you know, me and his father, we both work. Like, you know, we have Mm -hmm. good jobs, we've been buying him stuff, and and he's not this kind of kid, but but again, it's literally the music. Like, what else do you think make a person think that they have to be a savage, or a goon, or whatever it is that they want to kind of call themselves, you know? Um, But literally, the influence that that has, the allure that it has, because that's when you get the chicks. You dress like these people, you talk like these people, Um, You conduct yourself and carry yourself like these folks. Um, And it's just like, honestly, uh, people don't want to let go of it because, again, it's really not the money.
0: So I know that, you know, early hip hop influence back in the the, um, early 80s, late 80s. It was really about speaking about serious issues that that white America wasn't seeing, so to speak. You Mm -hmm. know, um, racism, oppression, uh, just what it's like living on the streets uh, or being on corners a lot and having to sell to make a li- uh, make a living. Do you think that what what started out as really a way to get that voice heard has now almost become the very thing that perpetuates the cycle that it was originally trying to bring attention to to get out of that cycle, and now I, it's kind of feeding into it?
3: I, I totally believe that. Um, I mean, also... Uh, You know, and it does, because I'm sure we'll probably have like African-Americans or minorities who who may say, you know, like, well, also racism played a role in it. I totally get that. You know what I'm saying? Systemic oppression definitely played a role in it. You know, the floodings of the ghettos and everything else throughout the Reagan era and everything else. We can go all on the intellectual side of it, which also, you know, really is a a truth and it's reality. Um, But but with that being said, right, um, it, it still carries out, you know, a systemic racist agenda. Because hip-hop in itself becomes the, one of the greatest tools that white supremacists use. Because, check it out, why would I pay, why else would an elitist pay somebody millions of dollars who they know didn't really do what 90% of what they rap about that they do? Why would they pay them the money to go ahead and perpetuate that message? You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? And oftentimes, I've challenged you know, artists, and I won't name any, but you know, I've had conversations with artists, Uh, and we talk about this and they're like, yo, well, all we doing is painting a picture of what's really going on. No, it's one thing to really paint a picture of what's going on, bring the reality to it and bring awareness to it. And that's cool if you're bringing a solution, but it's perpetuated and promoted to the point where it's glorified amongst our community. You follow what I'm saying? So like, you know, uh, as many people as were hurt by the recent passing of Nipsey Hussle, uh, you know will be the same people that's going to go rock to the music that's talking about, you know, shooting another person right down the block from you. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, uh, they're profiting off of re re reinstilling the trauma right back into the ears of the people, into the minds of the people. Um, And again, they're paying people who don't, who've never lived that life to glorify that life. I mean, some of these guys are college educated guys, failed basketball players that started rapping. And they're telling you, you know, promote these brands, promote uh, the materialism. A lot of these things that in which keeps the minority communities down. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll go ahead and tell you to wear Gucci because that's that's you know that's what you need to do. And and people wonder why the cycle of poverty continues. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah.
0: So what was the turning point for you? So this is how you're growing up. You're growing up in Philly. You know, not an easy life at all. What was the moment or the you know the story that puts you on the path to come to know Christ and that really, what seems like changed your life around completely and put on a whole different path.
3: Um, so like in a very condensed version and form, um, you know I, I I was actually doing pretty good for myself at doing what I was doing at the time. Uh, but um, you know, so what happened? <laughs> in a nutshell, I, I started to attend a church that was like right around the corner. and and honestly, like I was a teen parent um, you know, first son was when I was 18. So I'm, I'm 34, my oldest son, 15. Um, and with his mother, um, I had my second son too, as well. So I got two older sons, um, and I'm not with the mother anymore. Um, and you know, I'm married, have my wife and of course we have our youngest son and I'm also expecting a daughter in May, but, um, you know, congratulations! thank you. Thank you. Um, and, but, um, you know, she, she kept like kind of pushing me to we got a church around the corner for us. Let's go to church. So, you know, I'll give, I'll give my kid's mother credit for that. You know, she got me <laughs> going to church. Um, but so I, I decided to, you know, step foot in this church. I started to go attend this church. It was like a Baptist church. Um, you know, and, and the crazy thing is what happened to me is like what happened to so many Christians. You know what I mean? You know how many times you go into a side of the church and you're like, yo, I feel like they were preaching to me, you know? <laughs> so so I used to sit all the way in the top, right? Because it was like a nice-sized church. I used to sit all the way at the top of the back, felt like I didn't even really belong or I shouldn't be in there. And one day, uh, the, the associate pastor did this thing with his hand, you know, like he wanted to talk to me and, you know, he pointed up and I'm just sitting there saying like, yo, how did this guy even know I'm here? And why does he want to talk to me? You know, and he was like younger, younger black guy. And, I, you know, I got with him at the church. He, we exchanged numbers and no lie. He, you know, he had finally called me like a week later and he said to me, he said, you know, um, I really feel like God has been telling me some things about you. And, you know, he was like, yo, you know, he, I feel like God is calling you to start this ministry with me for like young adults. And he was like, you know, I know you're going to need, he, God showed me, you know, that you want to need to be worked with, but I really believe that, you know, he's been pushing, pushing it on my heart to reach out to you in regards to this. So like, dude, like I'm like laughing in my mind. Cause I'm like, fam, like I, after I leave church, I got a pistol and some drugs. I'm ready to drop off to somebody in my car. You know what I'm saying? But I, I'm saying to myself, like, there's no way. Like, I'm having my, like, uh, uh, Zachariah moment when the angel comes and he tells me that I'm about to have a kid or something. I'm 100 years old. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here like, yo, I'm sitting there like, nah, I don't think God told you that. Mm. But, you know, he's like, but, you know, you won't have to journey with me. But he's like, is this something you want to do? And I was like, yo, okay. so I'm going to church. I got this pastor on the phone with me right now. There's no way I can tell him no. So I'm just like, all right, cool. (laughs) And, you know, lo and behold, I started the journey with him. You know, uh, we're going through all different kinds of stuff, you know, on systematic theology, all kinds of different things. We're walking through the Bible and like about a year in. And like, I'm really like serving two masters because on one end, I'm Mm. still like doing what I do, but I'm really stirred up. Like now everybody in church isn't so corny to me. And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of hanging out with people in church and I'm sitting there like, you know what, man, it's kind of cool because I don't have to like worry about, you know, like Tim following me home, you know, after we we fellowship, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So like I'm I don't have to keep looking back over my my shoulder. Um, And so, you know, it felt good, but you know, I still was trying to, you know, serve two masters and I ended up, you know, getting locked up and truth of the matter is somebody said I shot him, you know, and so I got locked up and I didn't shoot the person, but, um, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, so after that, about a month beyond that, I'm on bail people owe me money, so I'm kinda like trying to get at everybody that's kinda owe me money because now you got a lawyer, you got an attempted murder case, you have to fight now. And I'm trying to tell you they cost a lot of money. <laughs> so uh crime <laughs> doesn't pay. <laughs> but but so so, you know, uh situation went wrong uh between me and somebody that owed me money. They ended up basically trying to say, you know, they they screamed or cried robbery. Uh I got caught with a gun. Um and now and here it is, I'm out on bail, quarter second case. And, you know, like, this is what I mean when, when, you know, like, rap lyrics really come to your life and pertain to your life. So Jay-Z said in a verse, like, half a mil for Bell, because I'm African. No lie. I was out on bail. Same. ADA showed up to my next Bell hearing and said, no, he's out on bail for this already. This is the second violent case in a month. Bell half a million. I don't even want him out in the streets. Wow. So, like, no lie. You know, like, and before, like, I bailed out the next day. Like, you know, as soon as I got locked in the first case. So I was assuming as I went in there, like, you know, well, whatever they're going to ask me for, if I was on bail for a tip murder, this is a robbery. I know I'm going to get less, lower bail than that. The guy was like, nah, five, 500000 you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, I talked to my kid's but I said, listen, she's like, well, what is it? You know, I'm sure we can get that. I said, no, we can't get this. I'm, sit- <laughs> I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down on this one. And, you know, so with that being said, I, I sat and I, I sat with the reality and knowing, like, you know, whatever guy got planned for me, you know, it is what it is. Um, but the one thing that I did promise myself, because I will say in Philly, it's like, you know, the fastest rising Islamic population in the country. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So like if you come to Philly, nah, fam, you're going to see the big beards, you know, uh, 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 the, the Muslim brothers wearing the throbes, the kufis, prostration marks on the forehead from praying, all of that. You know, and a lot of women are converting um, and a lot of it has to do with street culture because, you know, when you inside the jails the jail's Iran, heavy, heavy Islamic population. So you come in there, you want protection. You know what I'm saying? You see a lot of brothers come through and they taking a shahada in two weeks. You know what I'm saying? So uh, one thing that I prided myself on in the streets was like, you know, kind of being a tough guy. So I came in the jail. I said, yo, God, like I came in here Christian. I'm leaving Christian, you know? So um with that being said, uh my reverend didn't give up on me. Like I was shocked because like I felt ashamed, but he said, listen, you know, I know what God called you to. We're going to get through this. So like that was one of my first examples of like a Christian really standing on what they believed and what they said. And, you know, he he continued to visit me, send me other books. So I'm reading like crazy up there. But my first, my my, my third night after I was up there uh, and I came off quarantine. So when you go to jail, you got to go through this quarantine process. So you literally like sit in isolation, like they got to test you for everything. You know, you can't be with general population first, you know, they got to make sure you ain't contaminated or anything. But you know, so it's weird, but uh your viewers are getting some some hoodology one on one <laughs> tonight, But but anyways, uh, you know, so I'm all for of quarantine in the population. I find out they got jail. I mean they got church every day in jail, in the county jail. So I'm like, wow, that's dope. So one of my most mind blowing experiences, which still to this day is one of my most mind blowing experiences, and I've been pastoring for years now, but was when I went to church in jail. And I'm there in like I'm seeing everybody like in there worshiping. I'm like, yo, like we really in jail, you know, tattoos, everything. Everybody's supposed to be gangster in here and they what a mighty God we serve, you know what I'm saying? Singing and everything. And I'm like, yo, this is dope. You know? So with that being said, I started to attend church every day when I was in there. Um, I got close to the chaplain. I got a job in the jail. Um, and you know, reading heavy, God had me isolated, you know, just in a place where I had distractions away from me. And I started hosting Bible studies on a block. And I'm telling y'all, listen, it's so heavy. It's 96 brothers to a block. And I'm on a drama block. Drama blocks is when you got violent crimes. So, you know, people are facing violent, violent crimes. 96 brothers on a block, about 10 of us are Christian. I'm talking We well, you had to wear wristband, wristband has your information on it dudes were in fear so much that the guys that were Christian were wearing their wristbands upside down. So wow. you couldn't see what a person's faith was. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, for me, mine was flipped up the right way because it was like, for me, I felt like who I was out there. I'm the same person in here and I'm not going to be ashamed. So I, I had a job in the church Chaplin got close with him man. He became a mentor to me in there as well So I'm getting fed from him. He's giving me all kinds of books and when I tell brothers all the time You know like now I have the opportunity to speak and do a lot of things across the country that I do and A lot of people boast about seminary and I'm like fam listen You ain't never been on a maximum security prison block where you got 20 you got (laughs) 23 hours Listen, we be on restricted movement where we got 15 minutes to leave our cell. That's it So you had to go play the water and that's like go wash up real fast and you had ten minutes to jump on a phone, so you jumped in the water for about five minutes, and you try to burn your ten minutes for your phone time out. So therefore, all I was doing was studying. I was in the books. I was reading any and everything I could get my hands on. So, like in there, it was like really my training ground. Um, and I, I was in there creating Bible studies. Like, listen, we're gonna be bold in our faith. Started prayer circles. You know, these brothers praying in the day room. We gonna pray too. It's nothing for us to be ashamed of. You know. So with that being said. Um, you know, my experiences with God was like on a crazy level. And it really dawned on me when the brothers in the the jails told me, they said, yo, you know, you got to do this when you get out here. It was like, man, the way you breaking this thing down and stuff like that. And the chaplain was saying the same thing to me. And then it came back, that conversation that my Reverend had with me when I was out there. You called to sit here and reach young adults to do different things with young adults. So like, it was because of that call, because of that. And also prison, I feel like saved my life in a lot of ways. Um, but it really opened it up and magnified the call to me. So it's like I stayed committed to it. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I that's why I, how I'm where I'm at now and what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I think one of the uh one of the most powerful things about that story is that you had someone who didn't give up on you in the church. Absolutely. And I think that in church culture, and I'm very guilty of this too, we expect someone to have a come to Jesus moment and then just have this in a moment radical transformation where they leave everything about their old life behind and hop full, you know, of uh, uh, feet first into a whole new world. Um, but your story isn't like that. Your story was, you almost had to belong as you believed, you know, where yeah. people were inviting you out, they kind of plugged you in and you were definitely interested, but like you said, you were kind of living two lives for a little bit, but through that reverend, never giving up on you was maybe the most tangible, you know um view or the most tangible uh thing of christ loving you directly uh even in the middle of of all of the the stuff going on in your life that was just it's just crazy at the time so that's a really powerful part of that story because it's not very common i think the expectations in church culture are not that often enough and they need to be that way more often
3: you're right you're right and truthfully honestly you know um uh, i mean he passed away too so you know rest peace man reverend Tyreek. but um yeah honestly the rest of the church though did they did give up you know Um, uh, like the, the senior pastor and everything else you know they all kind of distanced themselves and he he stuck around um and just consistently said you know you're gonna get through this you know and, and was like man we're gonna get through this and just kept you know uh you know kept saying young timothy you know you go you gonna make it through just keep on doing what you're doing keep on sharing the gospel and i, I mean i literally made that commitment to god though i told god you know this isn't a prison promise, you know? Cause a lot of times, man, people make prison promises all the time. You know what I'm saying? God, get me out of this, I'm done. I told God, I said, listen, man, you know, you you spare my life on this situation. Um, and if I can come out of this, like I, if I can go hard for you while I'm in here, cause that's what I felt. I'm like, yo, I'm in jail where the cool thing is to act like you're tougher than you really are anyway. Cause you just want to feel safe. But I'm just like, no, nah, listen, I'm, you know, I'm really on this Jesus vibe in here. You feel me? And I told God, like, if I can go hard for you while I'm in here, um, I certainly can go hard for you while I'm out there, you know? Um, and, and, and I mean, because while you're in there, you don't know your fate. You know, it's not like your sentence. When you're in county, you know, you're awaiting trial and everything else, and you're facing 15 to 30 years. That's the deals they're throwing at you, and they're offering them. Those are offers they're making to you. You know, you're in a place of uncertainty, but I'm in there, like, at peace, and I'm just moving and serving God. I'm like, God, listen, I'm going to do this for you when I get out. So, um, you know, the Lord the Lord did what he did and, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I I had to hold it down and I I kept, I kept going, never looked back.
2: Yeah. I like what you said about the, uh, your reverend, that what Tim was saying too, just your, that didn't give up on you. And I think for a lot of times when we're part of a church and we're looking for, you know, like, how can we do better as a church and how can we support people better? Um, a lot of times we look to like change the whole, community and, and that we all have to be better. We all have to, uh, you know, step up in these ways. And I think it's cool to just hear a testimony of, you know, it took one person, you know, like you said, yeah. And that's really cool to hear as an individual to kind of encourage how you interact with the people that you come in contact with. You know, you could be the difference in, you know, that person's life, even if your church isn't stepping up with that
0: yeah yeah that's it's like you said Jordan it's I guess if, if there's one way that the church can be better maybe it's more merciful yeah. <laughs> maybe we can be a little more graceful to each sure. other it it really and we've talked about this a ton you know, on the podcast and even uh, personally there just there does seem to be a um certain sense of like morality culture in church culture where if you don't not say the right words or if you don't as long as you don't curse and as long as you don't you know knock off these checklist items, you're going to be fine. But if you start doing some of these things, we're going to question if you're really a Christian or not. Or if you are new and you just got saved, we, like I said earlier, expect you just to kind of flip the switch and drop all of these bad habits automatically. Um, but when we look at, at Christ and, and the scriptures and the disciples who had the Messiah in front of them and how they behaved and how many times they just did what we look back on as boneheaded things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to remember that, that people are flawed and that Chris, the, the beautiful thing about the gospel isn't that it makes you a better person. That, that isn't the point. It's that it restores you back to your creator and back to people and back to the planet. There's a bigger picture going on. Um, so I think that's, that, that's really important. But Carl, you know, so right now you pastor two churches, is that correct? Yeah. Are you, you're, you're the lead pastor of two different churches? Yeah, I like to say, though, we one church, two different locations. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's like a campus model. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, there okay. we go. Okay, okay, gotcha. That's yeah. how I was trying to think. Yeah. I was trying to figure that out. Okay, I'm yeah. like, hmm, that's, a, that's a, a new idea for me. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I, I
3: just travel back and forth, you know what I'm saying? I just lay my head in Philly, that's all. I go Hello. to Philly, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I'm back and forth.
0: So how do you think, in particular, something I've always wondered about, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, it seems like – um and I don't think it's an intentional thing that, that that uh of why this is happening, but it seems like the church is overall very racially divided as far as on Sunday morning, it just seems to be everyone's kind of in their own church that happens to be predominantly their own race. You know, I grew up in a very predominantly white church and i know there's a hispanic church down the street from me there's the african-american church down the street from me you know what do you think about that and do you think like how do we start bridging some of these gaps or, or bridging some of these un- i wouldn't say that 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 they're like i said malicious or like negative things mm-hmm. it just kind of happens the chips tend to fall that way it seems like what are some of your thoughts on that i mean
3: i, I i'll be honest um so i i, I know like mainstream Christianity, man, like our whole vibe right now is like, hey, let's build multi-ethnic churches. We got to be multi-ethnic. We got to be multi-ethnic, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I, I get it. Don't get me wrong. And I feel like that's that that's cool for the people who may struggle with being intentional on just saying, no, let's get up and, and hang out with our own. But I feel like, you know, when, when you see churches like that, a lot of times, A, they're built upon whatever their demographic really is you know, persista, you know what I'm saying? of. Like, you know what I mean? So like if, dude, if you're in the burbs and, and and it's majority of white people there, what do you expect the church to look like? You follow what I'm saying? So, so yeah. I, I, you know, I get that same thing with, with Spanish churches, you know what I'm saying? Hispanic churches, like there are some small Latino communities where, okay, there's a church there right in the middle of Latino community. What do you expect it to look like? You follow mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So yeah. the same thing with, you know, with black churches, you know what I mean? They're right in the middle of whatever areas they are. And it's like, we, what else would we expect? You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I think these churches also culturally, you know, how how you communicate the messages. You see what I'm saying? Like we all have our own lingo, jargon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ways that we communicate ways of worship, you know what I'm saying? Because you'll go and, you know, uh, 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 the Baptist church ain't going to worship like Hillsong. You feel what I'm saying? Like, and guess what though? We should be perfectly cool with it though because everybody has their unique ways of expressing their form of worship to God. So, um. I don't really particularly think it's problematic. What I feel is problematic beyond, uh, I don't mind people having corporate worship amongst whatever their community, you know, may dictate, whatever the demographic dictates. Um, and people particularly looking for certain styles. Cause truth be told, I'm black, I'm a preacher, but guess what? Not every black person wanna come to my church. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, you know what I mean? I probably may fit more in with, you know, with Tim and you guys than then like people may may kind of view me that may want to go old school Baptist. Cause dude, I'm in jeans and a t-shirt every week, but, Mm -hmm. but, but I mean, nevertheless, that's okay. I feel like the only thing that's really problematic is when we allow, uh, our differences, whether it be doctrine, style, methodology, or whatever, whatever it is, or our race to stop us from serving together. You see what i'm saying like yeah. like I don't, I don't care where a person decides to go to church and i'm not trying to force a suburban church to be like okay no travel 45 minutes away into the inner city and you better go fellowship with some black people there like <laughs> no man listen if you getting it real from wherever you at then you get it there but at the same time you know uh if we are really in pursuit to see that the glory of god goes forth everywhere and we have certain burdens on our hearts Yes, that should compel us to step out of our comfort zone and say, how can I find ways to partner and connect with other ministries uh, and serve with them? You know what I'm saying? Because I tell it, inner city pastors all the time, like, we can't keep letting our, uh, uh, you know, denominations separate and divide us. Dude, like, we can serve together and not preach a message with each other. You feel me? Like, yo, it don't take much for us to get out and really show the community love. Like, we all can work and put our hands to the plow, love on some people, pray with some people, and I don't care if you speak in tongues and if I don't. You know what I'm Hmm. saying? Like, that... It, there's much more pressing needs going on, so for me, yeah, that's my only issue. I feel like when you know uh we let you know uh our 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 context and the demographics we live in and all of that divide us from really getting out and serving together, and too many times we let the the minuscule stuff you know we're majoring in the minors and we're st- it's stopping us from just really saying yo, like let's put this work in together let 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 the glory of God be shown and displayed and demonstrated." To everybody, you know, so that's the only time I got a problem for me.
2: Yeah, that was like, as you were starting to say that, I was like thinking, and then you were saying everything I was thinking as I was thinking it. <laughs> I was like, yep, yep, yep. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, that's, I feel like, Tim, I mean, this is kind of a lot of stuff that we've talked about in the past too, just with churches and. You have to understand there's a certain amount of, you know, you, you might call it division, but it's not necessarily a negative thing. A lot of times, like you're saying, it's, it's just style or where you happen to live. Um, you know, even though we have the ability to travel a lot further faster than, you know, they did in first century and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really what goes beyond that. Um, I think of Tim, our, our f- friend Jerry, who's I think he's been on the podcast a long time ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, he worked with an organization called Serve the City. um, And it's just a really cool, they kind of took uh, share like evangelism almost from this approach of, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, I'm a Christian and you're not, but we're going to serve our community together and kind of approaching evangelism through that. And I feel like that's something the church can uh, definitely, you know, set aside differences (laughs) in order to, you know, serve the kingdom and serve communities and serve people for sure.
0: One of the reasons I'm particularly so passionate about this idea of division and unity um, is because I I think I'm realizing as I get um, uh, more experience and just more awareness about other church cultures that I haven't been a part of, how much more I've learned about the faith and about just different things I was never exposed to growing up. And so a lot of times I look and I'm like, man, like I wish I knew about like this part of church culture seven years ago or 10 years ago, or I wish I knew someone who had this experience a while ago because I I think what's, what has happened is that, and again, you know, we've talked about this a lot too in the podcast is we've really uh, have allowed um, political identity and views to also shape our church theology Mm. and how we view other, parts of the church, Um, maybe not to their face, but I think um, like a corporate level, we've definitely have allowed those things to seep in and assume certain things about other people or other people groups in the church automatically because of just what we think politically, maybe where they're going to land. And so I just see that as such an anti-kingdom movement. I see that idea as so anti what Jesus talked about and that ultimately, like Paul says, there's neither Greek nor Jew Um, you know, the idea of that under Christ that supersedes all this stuff. And so I think you're right, Carl and Jordan, where, you know, having a church that you go to that that, that, that the lingo is what you're used to and the style is what you're used to. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. I think the the danger is when that's the only thing we're willing to be exposed to, mm. when that's the only thing we're willing to be a part of. It's just what's comfortable in our four walls. And if someone comes in who talks a little bit different or has a different cultural background, we're not willing to hear that person's experience or just be able to hear them from a, and, and be able to listen and say, you know what, like, Let me have some empathy here and be willing to hear my fellow brother Mm -hmm. who I'm spending eternity with and Mm -hmm. hear this person's experience that I have never had and be willing to align with that. So I think that's kind of where I come from um, on that issue in particular.
3: And and I think to to your point, Tim, which you you made excellent point, that's where like that's why I'm saying like I might shake the table in a second, but, you know, if that's all right. But, 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 um, that's where I, I, that's why I'm saying, I believe to that point, right. Um, we should be intentional just about, you know, pastors coming together, um, creating moments and times to fellowship and build relationships with other churches. Right. Um, because that's still the body, you know, being multi-ethnic, you feel what I'm saying? Instead of us trying to create what we see, uh, that, from, from from a church building perspective saying, hey, no, we all just got to come under one roof and kind of do our corporate worship. That's still a system of church that we follow instead of saying, hey, however you guys get it. So like if my Latino brethren, they want to go ahead and worship because um, I've had people like that that came through my church in and out of the church. And they say, Pastor, you know, I love getting a word here, but I also like still going to my family church because they're Latino. They like we worship in Spanish. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so I got to respect that. But then why not build those bridges and say, hey, let's come together, let's do some fun outings, let's meet some neutral territory, have some fun, but also let's serve together and be intentional about building relationships as our churches to collectively, because we still can keep that body perspective. You follow what I'm saying? Now, what I meant by when I said I was going to shake the table, here's my question to you guys, right? Um, and, and and I feel like, because uh, like you were talking about politically and everything else, like there's a lot of agendas here. Uh, to where I feel like the church continuously keep we're we're keep being reactive instead of proactive, which is which shows me a that we're not really being spirit led and spirit driven people during these times. But my question is how much? Uh, two things. How much is the wave of gentrification? finally pushing us to these bubbles to where we trying to build these multi-ethnic churches, because we know that we'll have no choice but to be diverse. So we're just trying to already kind of set the atmosphere due to the implications that gentrification is ha- having in every major city in America. You know what I'm saying? So like, you got a lot of black pastors suddenly starting to talk multi- multi-ethnic churches, because they can't stop the wave that gentrification is, is bringing to his community. So they have to already kind of, you know, Put the coffee house instead, you know. Put the coffee shop inside of the church. You know what I'm saying? Kind of take away the stained glass windows and put a smoke machine in there. You know, they're, they're, they're already kind of changing the atmosphere because they're preparing for the way that gentrification has. Um, and then also, how how much of an influence uh, have we have allowed the 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 social movements and internet movements like Black Lives Matter and whatnot? Uh, you know, come through, seep into the church and kind of push our agenda to suddenly start to want to aggressively pursue, you know, social change and justice. I think that we got to ask those questions.
0: Well, to your second question first, regarding the social justice movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, I think it depends on what side you're on at that discussion because on the side that I'm usually, I should say in the bubble that I'm in, you know, Black Lives Matter, obviously politically, was not well received by a lot of my people who would be church people who love the Lord, definitely, obviously in the faith, but also lean much more conservative. So that conversation wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, like, this is great. We need to get social justice oriented now. It was like, Oh no, I don't want radical agendas coming in. And this is just, you know, it's all politically motivated. And, and uh, here's, I mean, I want to be careful because I I don't want to, um, I don't want to stereotype all these people, all these friends of mine, but the the narrative seemed to have been that you're, you're exaggerating, pretty much. Like, okay, it's not that bad out there. Like, you're exaggerating, so we don't really want to hear it, uh, was what I got from things like that. But I think people like myself, you know, Jordan, Rob, my wife in particular, who is she well, she's my life, my, my wife. She actually went to a Black Lives Matter protest. She's all about it. So but you know, but we I tend to want to be sensitive to that, to that kind of to that side of, of things, you know. And I don't always know how to handle it because I'm like, okay, um, I want to be able to hear and trust that the person telling me that, hey, this happened to them, that hey, they were pulled over because they believe that that they were targeted because because of the color of their skin. And this is a good friend of mine. I have no reason to doubt them. So I want to hear that. But I think uh, as far as you know the white evangelical circles go on a big picture, it wasn't a very well received thing. Does that make sense
3: that totally makes sense um which which actually brings me uh to th- to this point that I'm making here um and this is why honestly guys you know um my 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 talk and my type of talk isn't always popular, you know what I'm saying to with people because it makes people uncomfortable and it's truly the truth I'm gonna be honest with y'all, but you know which is why like I haven't I mean, I've been in a lot of these discussions about racial reconciliation, about, you know, social justice and whatnot. And I think that, honestly, one of the things uh, that really takes so much credibility away from this movement in itself, um, is the fact that, again, amongst the black community, you know, amongst the black community, I'm talking about the hood, the people that are in those communities in which a lot of black faces try to pretend to represent, they don't buy into the church. They don't buy in like like I I hear so much about, you know, this is one of the issues here, right? That people get caught up into with the books, with reading all the books. You're either reading something right to where it's kind of like playing towards the emotions. It's going to, you know, make black people angry. A lot of people don't have solutions. I've read a lot of stuff from a lot of these people. Neither really have real solutions. It's either going to have black people upset and angry or it's going to try to shame and guilt white people. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, after you read it, you stir stirred up, but then you're like, okay, but what's the answer? You right. see what I'm saying?
1: Exactly. So,
3: exactly. so we have these conferences and we do the same thing. And then it comes back to this whole thing where like we're flying across the country to, to see each other. And it's like, Hey, I shook Bob from Iowa's hand and we hugged and we took a <laughs> picture together and we told each other, Hey, hit me up, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully we can link up and it never happens. Mm-hmm. But We've done that, right? And, and and we've been like convicted with some kind of message that, like, you know, they use like some kind of tokenism, um, minority to come with this message to hit us with, you know, some Jim Crow laws type of book type of knowledge. And there's never tangible solutions. When yet, I'll be honest with y'all. I'm preaching in a series right now talking about the forgotten folks. Truth be told, those that are really in the hood, that really work with those that are in the hood, know that the people in the hood feels forgotten about and slighted more by the black church than anything else. Hmm. And this is what you guys don't, they won't never give y'all the freedom to say that, right? But this is why I'm saying <laughs> You know what I'm saying? They'll never let you guys say it, okay? they won't, You won't live it down, okay? you John MacArthur and everybody else won't live it down. But, well, I,
0: but I think it's that and the fact that I'm also not at all involved in the black church. I don't know the black church culture. I know my the church culture I grew up in. I know the Hillsong culture real well. I know the Elevation culture real well. But this culture, right. um, it's I'm so foreign to. Well, well, I just and don't me, know.
3: It, well, and let me tell you, though their their level of involvement is probably no different than y'all's hmm. from where were you at, to be honest with you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm being totally honest with y'all, but hmm. I feel like we we've created this, this, this environment, right. Where it's like, you're white, repent and lament. Okay. For what, you know, for what your great grandfather did. Um, and I see all this reconciliation talk and I'm looking up right at the aftermath and I'm saying, well, dang you know, when do the black pastors go back to the black community and repent and lament back before our people? Because truth be told, we lack trust with black people right now. Like fam, I wish, like, I wish I was on my phone or something. I walked through the neighborhood and just show you like, and let black people give their opinions on the black church. And it's like in this space and place, I'm watching uh, uh, black pastors and leaders go across the country like, begging for acceptance and, like, friendship with everybody else but not go back to the communities and really own the stigmas that, that, we, that we have right now that we carry in our own communities. You see what I'm saying? Like, they'll tell you every black pastor stealing the money. They'll tell you, hey, all this is going on, where's the black church at? Where's the pastors at? Hmm. You know how many mothers I've spent time with reading and they're saying, I belong to this church, but people from the church isn't even, hasn't even visited me yet. You see what I'm saying? Like, these are the things that we really face in our own communities. And this is why I brought up Black Lives Matter, because prior to Black Lives Matter becoming a thing, you know, so like, even with that being said, you know, um, you go to their guiding principles, they do more to fight the homosexual agenda than they do to really fight for the rights of black men, straight black men. They talk about trying to, you know, go to their guiding principles. You'll see it yourself. It's on their website. They built their backs, they built their org off the back of Trayvon Martin, a young black male, but they don't even have a lot in place to really protect black males. It's more to really promote and and support and, and help so many other agendas, not even the black man himself. So, we, while we as black Christians, we have that as the face, and that actually put the battery in our backs to finally get moving. And it's like, how do we have all these astute, Dr. Such and Such, the good Reverend, what's the name, whoever went to whatever school he went to, and he's been in the inner city on the street corner for 35 years. It took that movement to get you to finally get moving in your own community. And this is why our own people don't really receive it as being genuine from us. You know, while we also still go to these conferences, write the books about it, speak at the conferences about it, But yet still aren't, because I'm telling y'all right now, and I'm saying this factually, factually, a lot of these people that are speaking on these issues are still not connected to the people who are going through those issues. They read books, you know, probably a few more, probably talked to a couple more people and able to present that picture broad scale to a lot of people. And if you're not from it, people can sell you anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to be honest. Some of these black preachers are no different than the rappers. You know what I'm saying? And if, and if you're some guy from Idaho, you're going to sit there and believe a guy because he's saying, hey, man, I pastor in D.C. and this is what's going on. But you go to the people in D.C. <laughs> right. and they're going to say, I don't even know that guy at the corner. You know, they <laughs> say, oh, he's the guy that drives or whatever. And that's it. So we have that issue. And I feel like we as a church. Uh, we're at a place where we're reacting instead of being proactive. So it's like because of stuff like Black Lives Matter, that is what finally compelled us to live out the gospel, in which we're supposed to be have been preaching and known all this time. That's very problematic. And we still have to get back to a place where we have to repent back to our own communities. Because, again, these people feel like, yeah, you guys have forgotten this. And I feel like we, as the black church, we're more defensive they're more so receptive of the criticism that comes. We're in defense mode. We're trying to sit there and say, well, no, there's some black churches that are doing things and everything else, but we don't like it when y'all guys do that. You can't sit there and be like, well, no, some, that's some of the people, and you know, and we still got some people who are working with, nah, like, we don't like the exceptions to the rule. You see what I'm saying? But yeah. we have yet to really stand up in that gap and say, you know, listen, we'll own our mess. We failed y'all. You see what I'm saying? I mean, gentrification for me is a mentality. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, if I've been planning somewhere for 35 years and I've supposed to been pastor and I'm supposed to be helping to restore the inward brokenness of the individuals to so where, guess what? Um, we don't hear enough about how do we combat gentrification? You know what I'm saying? We hear people talk about it, but what inner city pastors are we talking about that are going to go where people are being displaced to? And help restore the mentality because all you got with gentrification is this. Check this out. I, I, obviously, I know it's an economical difference, but what these guys are doing, coming into the community, cleaning up the block. Repainting the front of the house, putting in little stainless steel fixtures and all of that. Probably a little yeah. rooftop deck on the crib. That's right. and, and that's it. So all they did was come essentially say, hey, we're going to take care of the stuff in the neighborhood. Right. That's it. And we're not going to shoot each other. So that's where the church should be restoring the inward man in the souls of the people. So no matter where you go, gentrification shouldn't scare minorities because it's like, hey, if we're going there with this restored, redeemed mentality. Dog, they're going to give us those places for low prices because nobody wants to live there now. And we're going to create our own oasis. But we're not on it.
0: So it seems like you're very, very passionate about, and I mean this in a good way, that you want to see almost the the inner city church come back to its true calling and make the impact that it's supposed to be making all along. Amen. And what, is, what has happened is that there's been a huge loss of trust, which, by the way, I think is that, Inner city loss of trust in the church is is also happening everywhere. I mean, we know this that millennials are leaving the church in droves. A lot of these bigger church uh, pastors in the in the limelight have had a lot of scandals go on. There's there was in fact I'm sure you've seen the preachers and sneakers account that has went viral, right? And and it's because we've already been cynical and skeptical of pastors who are are quote unquote celebrity pastors. And now we're seeing that some of them are are wearing literally $5,000 shoes on stage. And it it gives people the fuel to the fire, you know, so to speak. And it gives them the reason to finally say, there's the proof. I knew these guys were just trying to take our money. Right. Mm. So it's, it's not only happening in the inner city, it's happening really, I think on a bigger level. However, I feel as though the impact is felt more in the inner city because in suburbia, people, you know, it's a different level of living on average. You know, there's different ways, there's a different culture mentality. So when the church really fails the inner city, they really feel like really betrayed because what's there, what What else is there to fall back on? Drugs, right. the street, what what, what? what is there? So if a preacher's telling people, I can get you out, I'm here to help, but they don't help, the betrayal must feel huge.
1: Huge. Uh, the, um, the church that I was a part of when I lived in New Jersey, they've been working in the Pensauken Camden area for a hundred, over 100 years now. But my uncle is one of the, he's a single guy, um, but it, his main ministry is reaching out to all of these kids in Camden, and he's been doing it basically all his life. And what, I, what he has found is that they just want somebody to show up. They don't care if you're white. They don't care if you're black. They don't care if you're Hispanic or whatever. If you're showing up, they're going to respond to you because you're there because you obviously care enough to continually show up, to continually reach out. And you're there every Sunday morning and saying, Hey, you coming to church? Give me a call. I'll come pick you up wherever you're at. Hey, you want to go play, play ball on Friday night? I rented out the Y let's go. And, 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 He's had we've had a lot of success on uh, you know Sunday afternoons. There's a hundred, hundred and twenty kids coming out, um, just because they want to know this is somebody who's here and is here to stay. And they're not up on the uh, you know national conferences talking about what what we all need to do and what the the status is. No, they're not up there because they're out there doing the work. They're out there showing up. They're out there making sure these people know there is someone that cares about you and it's because of the gospel. This is what the gospel can do for you. It can change your life. It can change who you are and it can change your whole direction in life.
3: That's real. That's real. Hey, hey, Rob, man, you on you it. They really People really want to see consistency. People really just want to see like, hey, how committed are you going to be? And I actually said this in a sermon, but one of the things that we're most guilty of as a church today is we're so focused on creating moments instead of creating movement. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And it's like when we keep on creating the moment and I mean, don't get me wrong, like, and, 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 and to your point, Tim earlier, we talk about the divide racially. Why is it a ch- like every black person that you'll talk to in the hood will say it's a church on every corner. What are they doing? And it's like, fam, that's no racial divide. We all black. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? It's the hood. We all <laughs> black. So every church is black. Why we ain't working together? If we push a pro-black agenda, we understand the levels of oppression, and we know, understand that one out of every three black persons going to count on the prison system and all that kind of stuff at some point. Dude, why? If you're a pastor, I'm a pastor. We supposed to live by the same code. You know what I'm saying? This thing right here is our code. So, you know, we all part of the same gang. We all part of the same set, regardless of what, what you know, what faction of the sets you're part of. We, why aren't we working together? You know what I'm saying? And I think it sends a problematic message to our people at large, um, when they see pastors, you know, hop in 10 states over to go to a conference and reconcile with other people. And we haven't even reconciled amongst each other. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, when it's mm-hmm. like we've given ourselves over to, you know, uh, uh, the mainstream agenda, intellectualism, and everything else. And we've really lost all sense of practicality, you know what I'm saying, it, it, of what the gospel really entails. Um, and It's really no humility. Everybody kind of wants to still be above each other, even in the church. You see what I'm saying? And it's it's nasty.
0: It seems like um, the focus uh, in church culture as a whole, including in the inner city, has been orthodoxy or over orthopraxy. orthopraxy you know that that idea and not not so much uh, uh, hey don't say certain curse words or don't watch certain movies i mean that's i guess to be a part of it but like what does it look like to love your neighbor well What does it look like to love the poor well i mean what are the two greatest commandments love god with everything love your neighbor as yourself you know what does orthopraxy look like when you're implementing the sermon on the mount not taking an eye for an eye but loving your enemy you know those are the things that i think a lot of people look to to see the church Emulate, And when they see us bogged down in political agendas or in, like you said, the moments over the movements, uh, these really intense maybe Sunday morning spectacles over the idea of of a consistent lifestyle of living together, um, people look and they say, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but what you're saying isn't matching up to what you're doing. So how can I believe you? Because our culture is full of talkers. I mean, all you have to do is turn the news on. Everyone talks. I mean, all politicians talk. The news pundits talk. They all talk a big game. But whoever lives it, like like Rob's uh, example, you know, of uh, was it your grandfather, Rob? Um, my, my uncle. Your uncle. That's the guy who who is changing the world. You know, and I think you need a million of Rob's uncles and a million of Pastor Carls who are in the moment, who are in the trenches. Doing the work. That's how you change things. I mean, that's the solution. The problem is that you can't quantify that as a solution. You can't systematize it because it's not a one size fits all mentality. So you can't write a book and get rich off it because it's not going to work that way, right? And then how, how do you measure it? If, the, if all the Pastor Carl's are out there doing the work, they don't have time to go to the conferences and talk about the great work they're doing. They don't have time to build up a huge Instagram following. They don't have time to build up a huge mega church. Mm. They don't have time. They're too busy with mm. their neighbor. You know, it's, it's, it's the unseen things. It's the upside-down kingdom mentality that we're talking about that maybe we don't see right now. But in heaven, we're going to see all the Pastor Carls, all the Rob's uncles, you know, all those kinds of people. We're going to be like, whoa, I didn't even, you know, I, you think Stephen Furtick was huge. No way. This guy is doing major numbers, you know, that we never even knew about that, that we're going to see in heaven.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's only right that you know uh, Rob tells us his uncle' name, man. We he we got to give him a shout out. He can't oh, can yeah. just be <laughs> Rob's uncle, like right on the uh, for, for the masses. We got to put a we got to shout him out.
1: You know All right, so it? I'm I'm not even lying here. His name is Don Draper. Huh? Don Draper. <laughs> yeah, it's a like, he's a character from
2: uh, a TV show. Yeah, in Mad His Mad uncle is not oh. a character. That name is also the name of oh. the character.
0: <laughs> My uncle's was a, a made-up character. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, so we need a, we need a million Don Drapers as well. But that's how you change the world. It's smaller and smaller to take over the world, not bigger and bigger necessarily. I mean, I think huge movements can be great, you know. But it's
1: it's funny because I was. You know, I had, you know, my little notes that I wanted to talk about. And my first note was that healthy discussions are uncommon because we don't want to be honest about our own prejudices or imperfections when it comes to race. We either deny that we have them or we go about and justify them in some way. And I was thinking about that from the white side of things to say, well, you know, I, I don't have those prejudices. I, I've never thought a racist thought in my whole life. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I'm perfect. Or you're like, well, this is how I was raised and this is the culture. But from what we're talking about, that happens on the other side of the, races, the race divide, as it were, as well, is there there's this systemic problem in the black communities where the black pastors aren't reaching out to their local communities. And why isn't this a healthy discussion? Because they're unable to say that they also have a problem, that they're also imperfect. And that as you, as you pointed out, Pastor Carl, they've got to come to the realization that I am part of the problem. Now let's be part of the solution. And it happens. It's, it's not a a race problem. That's a, that's a person problem. Right and um like we've already said, the gospel is supposed to come in and change the person, not change your race, not change your identity, but it changes the person. I would like to point out,
2: Rob, that I raised my hand and you interrupted me this time.
0: Yeah, I I, <laughs> just saw, do, just so I saw my train of thought. <laughs> I saw right, of, <laughs> I saw my train of thought like a cold heart slammed the brakes on. What goes around, and man? Rob just, Comes, right.
1: <laughs> so true. Sorry, no, Tim. go cool. ahead.
2: Um, I was just going to say like, uh, a couple of you mentioned like solutions to the problem, like what's the solution? And you're right, Tim, it's, it's super unquantifiable almost, but I think it really comes back to something you said before pastor Carl, that, uh, it's really about being spirit led. And then what you just said, Rob, about like the gospel and, um, how that comes in and changes your life. Um, and, when it's up to the individual like that, we have to rely on um, really the spirit of God to come in and make that change and provide that solution through the individuals. You know, we're, we, you're right, Tim, we're never going to be able to turn it into a system where you can say, here's your five-point plan, implement this, and it's going to change everything. Um, it really has to come back to, you know, are we living out the gospel? Are we prioritizing? Um, the gospel in our lives above just what we feel like Um, are we prioritizing living out the gospel in our lives above what our Sunday morning services look like Um, yeah and it it comes back to those really you're right it's it's hard to track that you know and say hey this is working or not um, because you don't see it a lot of the times but uh, yeah Pastor Carl,
0: let me ask you. A qu- uh, can I ask you a quick question? Or do you want to answer, do, do, do you want to respond to that? I
3: kind of want to respond to it real quick. Right, Please ahead. don't don't lose the question. Two two things, right? Um, and and Jordan ha- has a point. I, I will say this. Um, you know, um, I, I definitely think. I think there's an answer, and I think scripturally, like I, I mean, I literally preached on this recently. But I think Isaiah chapter one verse seventeen is the answer. Um, you know, where the Lord says that you know to seek justice, uh, will learn to do right. Seek justice correct oppression, uh, tend to the fatherless and to the widows and plead the widow's cause. And, you know, I believe that that's applicable to every single community that we're in. You know, uh, first and foremost, God says to learn to do right. So first of all, we have to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to actually learning how to do right in God's eyes, not to our own assumptions that we think is the problem. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I think that we have to get back to being intentional listeners, kind of reverse our evangelism a bit give people a chance to kind of voice their opinion but that takes us to be present in community instead of just assuming like oh everybody's poor so let's give away coats. Well (laughs) what if what if they need light bills? What if they don't need coats? You know what I'm saying? Like get out, find out. So with that though, let us learn and do right. Let us humble ourselves and, and stop acting like we have it all together. But also now, God says seek justice, and, and justice comes in many forms fashions. Some communities have immigration issues. Some, some communities you know, may have drug problems. Some communities may have car break-ins. It doesn't matter, but like, there's injustice is taking place everywhere that you live. This isn't just an American ghetto issue, but it's the suburbs as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it says to seek justice, it says to correct oppression. And I feel like the body of Christ, God has literally appointed us collectively. To and gifted us the power, you know, in unity to correct the oppression that's around us. You see what I'm saying? But also to tend to the fatherless. There are fatherless in every community that you can think of. There are single mothers. There are like modern day widows and single mothers who are out here in all kinds of communities. And sometimes where we have uh, the outcast boy in the suburbs who had nobody, somebody wasn't tending to the fatherless. Somebody left him fatherless. You see what I'm saying? Like we have to become that village again. So I feel like Isaiah. Chapter 1 verse 17 literally gives us a model and a blueprint that if we would really set ourselves out there uh, collectively to say, listen, we're going to commit to this. And I think that the the strength in numbers makes a difference. So it's like I told the men in church, like, listen, if seven of us decided to come together and say, hey, we'll adopt one child, all all of us pick one day out of the week to kind of pour into that child and to check on that child, you know once, one, one, you know, once a day or to make sure he's okay. If the kid needs sneakers, let's just say he wanted $150 pair of sneakers. That's $20 a piece amongst the seven that we would put up and make sure that he's okay and he has the pair of sneakers. And again, that's seven men to one person. Now think about how many Christians you got within the confines of a city. If we all partner collectively and came together, we can literally start to be fathers, you know, into one of the fatherless lives. And guess what? He has a high percentage of, of likelihood to, you know, not find his way into to jail, not find his way into destruction. You know what I'm saying? But again, we just have to actively do what the word tells us to do. And then the second thing was that, you know, notice this, uh, Tim, to your point, you alluded to it about, the, about, about books, conferences, everything else. That is why that demographic of people who in which I call the forgotten folks have gone forgotten intentionally because they're not profitable. Okay. see, so like Tim was alluding to earlier about when you invest in somebody, you want them to instantly turn their Christian switch on and stop what they're doing. No, with people inside the ghettos, it takes. And this is why, honestly, this is a coincidence. This is an accident. No, black churches run from those who are not profitable. So this is why we lean highly on the side of academia, intellectualism, because we want to reach the middle class, you know, the middle class you know, urban minorities who we know are profitable, wants to hear and be intellectually stimulated by our theological debates, you know, by us responding to political jargon and political messes going on, they're, they're not profitable. Like, I have to invest too much in somebody from the hood because it's so much they have to unlearn, unpack trauma that they have to kind of wash off, and a lot of that is going to take a level of investment, and they're not going to yield a return because they ain't got nothing but $6 they want to give an offer. You see what I'm saying? So <laughs> so th- on a real, that plays a part because again, and it's also a highly likelihood and probability that guess what? They won't latch on immediately because life is so ever changing for them. So they could lose a cousin to gun violence or their, their dad could get locked up and then suddenly, bam, they disappear on you just like that. Then suddenly, because I'm not allowing God to be God, I, I feel away or I'm slighted by it because it's like, so I just invested in this kid and he just disappeared on me. And too many people don't want to commit to that slow bearing fruit. So it's intentional too. You know, we can't make a no mistake about it. Very intentional. So Tim, hmm. your question, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, that that's that needs to be said. That's great stuff. I'm, I was going to ask you about your, just your personal thoughts on the, celebrity pastor culture that we've built in america in particular um, and i am going to go back to that preachers and in sneakers instagram account reference that has i'm not sure have you seen that account recently i'm sure you've seen it or heard I of it i
3: saw articles on it but yeah i saw articles and I, i've seen so, it So
0: yeah so the account for those who don't know it's this guy <laughs> who started really as a joke just for him and some buddies where he noticed it was some worship leader had a pair of like 400 sneakers on And he thought that was kind of funny. So he started taking pictures or finding pictures of, of these pastors who are either well, uh, more well-known or, you know, pretty profitable as far as uh, numbers go and started seeing that a lot of these guys wore designer clothes, designer belts and shoes. And so he made an Instagram account just showing people how much this stuff was worth. And it actually, it went viral. It blew up. The guy was getting like 10,000 followers a day. Um, And he's, he's, he's a millennial. He's our age. And, um, so anyway, so I, at first, I'm going to be honest, I was like, good, this needs to be said. And like, this is just the problem with greed in the church. And, you know, I was, I was right there with my stone in my hand, throwing the stone, the verbal Instagram stone, you know, I, I, I was, I couldn't be more happy to see these guys get called out for the, for the, the nonsense that I thought it was. And then I started just taking time to really process it on my own. And I started thinking about, um, that, in social media culture, tends or um, lends itself well to what I call judgment culture, where everyone wants to judge either I like or I don't like, or this person was crazy for doing that, or they weren't crazy for doing that. And preachers and seekers is is no exception to that rule. Um, you want to be able to call it out, but I was thinking about, you know, if if I had in, in theory a lot of money in my, in my bank account because I wrote a book somewhere and I had a million dollars in my account, and I had a pair of, you know, $500 sneakers, to me, that's not a lot of money. And and honestly, I would like to say that I would be the noble man and say, no, I'll still wear my, my Chuck Converse's, you know, that are way outdated and, and way beat up. But I don't know if I, if I, if I would be that guy. I, I don't know if, if I can take the moral high ground there, because I'm not a rich person, whether I'm a pastor or not. So what I found, all, all that to say, is that I kind of took back some of my initial thoughts and said, you know what? I have to trust that these guys have some kind of inner circle that is hopefully holding them accountable. And that if they choose to wear these sneakers or these this Gucci belt that's worked so much on Sunday morning, ultimately it's it's not up to me. And I'm not responsible for their decision. You know, and it also doesn't take away the fact that they very well could be legitimate brothers in the Lord who are doing good work that God's using, whether I I see it as a good idea or not to wear Expensive sneakers or clothing. But I would love to get your thoughts on that. So all
1: that to say is you you were reading John chapter 8 this week. And you were like, oh, he that is without sin, throw the first stone. I guess I'll drop this
0: stone and walk away. That's right. Right. That, that's exactly right.
1: Um,
3: I Honestly, Tim, I, I was like, I was, uh, well, I, I totally can get where you was coming from. But I was like in the opposite. And, and the crazy thing is, it's like. Um, man, to me, matter of fact, the, the, the day we met, I'm like, you know, like, yeah, man, like I'm, I, I think I have sleeves on, but I'm like, yeah, I'm like you, man. I got tattoos, everything else. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, um, I'm like borderline, like minimalist. So like, I don't even really like care too much for like fashion. I'll wear like, I got a black tee on black jeans. Like I, that's what I wear majority of the time. 87% of the time I'm in black jeans, black tee. <laughs> you'll see me in Chucks. You'll see me in Vans and like, no lie. Like, dude, that's what I really wear. So, um, Like, I I could have been one of those self-righteous kind of people and trying to, like, cast a stone. Like, yeah, what do they need? And my friends laugh all the time because, like, I'll be like, yo, they'll send me a picture of sneakers. And I'm like, I'll calculate it in my mind. Like, I'm like, yo, they're 300. I'm like, that's like five pairs of Vans, dude. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, 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 but, but again, that's a personal preference of mine. That's not like, no, you shouldn't spend that on sneakers. Um, Because truth be told, I started to instantly think, like, man, how – uh, far or how petty are we going to itemize the church now? It went from, Oh, they all got Cadillacs to like, no, we got smart cars. So we don't have Cadillacs now the, you know what I'm saying? Then it's like, well, well, no, your sneakers though, they're 200 bucks. Why you got 200 sneakers on? And, and, and I feel like if, if we allow the world to dictate too much of, of, of what we do down to some of the things in which, where it's like, very, very minuscule to me. Because I also think that one thing that was skewed about that was they kept putting the resale price of the sneakers on stuff. Like, I mean, they had off-white uh, Jordan 1s and they was like, yeah, these are 1100 No, dude, they was 170 in the store. Like, <laughs> right. if, if you don't got the connect you probably paid that. You know what I'm saying? But don't, don't make it look like these guys pay high-end resale value for the sneakers. I was like, all right, that's unfair. Again, I'm not into the sneaker, you know, the whole sneakerhead thing, but I'm not about to knock these guys because we also don't know what type of lifestyles they lead, they lead offline. You know what I'm saying? So they may spend that on their fashion, but live very, very small scale on everything else. You see what I'm saying? It's like, you know...
0: Yeah, yeah. And something that, you know, it's something that convicted me personally was I thought about, about my tattoos because I have a, a lot of tattoos. My hands are done, my arms are done. You know, the average full color sleeve is like five thousand know, dollars. I put a lot of money into my tattoos, and if I had more money, I'd have even more tattoos by very high quality artists. I'm not going to go to no guy down the street. I'm going You're to old. some high end guy who charges an arm and a leg. I want quality work. So that was a moment for me where you know, call it God, call it me, whatever, where I was like, you know what? Like, if I was in that position and I had a lot of money, I wouldn't spend it maybe on shoes, but I'd spend it somewhere else. There'd be something that I would have that I probably would spend what people would think would be, uh, you know, uh, an exorbitant amount of money on something that really shouldn't matter. So that was a moment for me that kind of brought it back to home.
3: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, man. and And that's how I feel, because I'm the same way honestly, when it comes to like fragrance, like I'll spend money on cologne. Like that's just me. So so like, yeah, I'm looking at a pair of sneakers and I'm like, nah, I wouldn't buy that. But if I smell a certain cologne, I'm telling my wife, like, okay, yo, I gotta have this. But so, so, so no, I, and I get it. And it's just like, for me, what people don't also understand is a lot of those celebrity culture pastors, if that's what we'll call them, I mean, they make a ton of money doing a lot of other things. You see what I'm saying? So like the vast majority of the masses, they're thinking like, you know, um, and, and, and I mean, they'll think a guy like Osteen, and I'm like, oh, he's stealing all his money. I'm like, no, that dude will sit on the couch with Oprah with his new book and sell like 20 million of them in like two weeks. Like, you right. know, he doesn't have right. to take a dime. Now, I don't care for the mass preaching, but I won't call him a thief. <laughs> I won't call him a thief. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, there's certain things that I just, you know, like, I mean, even with, you know, uh, Pastor John Gray and, you know, him buying the uh, Lamborghini, yeah. you know? like
0: That was a big yeah, one.
3: And it's like, for the record, you know, I drive like a 2005 minivan. So, um,
0: <laughs> Lamborghini, right? You drive a Lamborghini? <laughs> Lamborghini
3: minivan, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen one of those. I got the, I got the latest one, right? <laughs> but, 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 you know, um, for me, um, you know, doctrine and decision making and, you know, a lot of other things uh, aside, it's like I was telling people, I-, I won't call a man a thief. I don't have to agree with, you know, your preferences and your choices of what you decide to purchase. But, you know, um, for me, uh, and, and a lot of people was like, ah, but it just don't send the right message because, you know, and I'm just saying to myself, you know, um, with that being said, like you were saying, if you wrote books or if you set up certain businesses, a lot of pastors are bi-vocational. Some started businesses and are entrepreneurs outside of what they do. And it's kind of like, you know, um, can a person tell you, like, hey, man, you shouldn't get a condo or you shouldn't, you know, buy a nice house in the suburbs, you know what I'm saying? Because someone could potentially think, I think that's a pretty crippling, paralyzing life to lead, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, again, I can't call these guys thieves or I can't say that they're wrong because they like to wear decent sneakers if that's what they're into. Um, I just thought it was over the top, you know what I mean? Like you said, it started out as a joke, but so many people sent that to me. And, and it was just like, yeah.
0: I'm like, Well, yeah. I think I think part of the reason why it it took off is because, at least for me, you know what it does? It triggers the the TBN Kenneth Copeland "Sow Your Faith Seed Today" for a thousand dollars. That's what it, it triggers in my mind when I see that. And I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not comparing, you know, or saying that Olsen or Furtick is like that, where they're on TV begging people for money for God to do a miracle in their life. However, there are a lot of those guys who made a lot of money doing that and justified their outlandish lifestyle based on People sowing a faith seed, quote unquote, for a miracle, and so I think it's for me in particular. I think for a lot of people in the church who grew up in the church, I also grew up in in church culture. You know, it just triggers like that kind of stigma of like, yeah, of course the, this pastor would be rich. Look at how big his church is. Look at all what he does. Of course, he would spend it on. He would have so much money, he'd buy a three thousand dollar pair of shoes. You know, but like you said, that might not might not even be accurate. And we all have our things that we spend money on. And at what point are, can you really um, dictate that someone spends their money, especially in the pastor. You know, I mean, at what point do you draw the line?
3: I, I think this too, too, uh, there, there's two, di- there's two there's two dynamics to that. Some of it is like, yeah, church church folk, like you know, we we kind of are tainted or we're turned off by you know some of that old you know Benny Hinn type stuff, and you know what I'm saying, uh, Paula White and all those kind of folks, uh, TBN stuff. But the vast majority of the people that's crying and complaining aren't the people that watch any of that or didn't even go to church. I'll be honest there is also a, mag, a, a, a high level of envy and jealousy. You see what I'm saying? That comes along with that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So I don't understand the mentality. The same people that will sit there and bash the pastor who has a, a, a decent pair of sneakers will also, you know, help make Gary Vee a, a millionaire 10 times over by buying his book. You see what I'm saying? Or go buy into the, uh, the motivational speaker who's like, hey, I'm on a private jet because... I'm making $250 off you buying a ticket and you spend <laughs> $1,500 to meet me backstage and get three right. minutes with me one-on-one and they right. eat it up. So it's like, hey, y'all just made that man rich and he threw it in your face and <laughs> you're fine with it because he's inspiring you to go chase after vanity. But yet, you know, you'll sit there and I don't know if a pastor makes $8 million off a book, you want him to give 7.9 of it back. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it's, it's a lot of hypocrisy. And I yeah. also think that that comes from younger people, um, wanting the, 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 blessings of God. Right. But at the same time, don't want the accountability. It comes with it. So it's another way to really attack the church and say, Hey, this is why I don't do church. You see what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, the, the there, rappers so can make, the that. rappers can make the money. Don't got to give you nothing back. You see what I'm saying? They'll brag at you yeah. and, and, and make a fortune, but you know, not nah, a pastor. he, he better not even have a, a pair of Dockers on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: I, I think you're right. Uh, the, you know, the, the older I, I know, I get, and Robin Jordan get, I definitely have gone from growing up in church, rebelling in church that 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 I'm 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 out of here. The church is too. It's not church enough. You know, it's not biblical enough. I'm. Or, or I've been hurt, whatever. And now that I'm, you know, getting older, and I'm, I just hit 30, you know, and I've talked to Robin Jordan about this a lot. I think we're realizing that while I am very glad that in my zeal as someone in my, my mid-20s was very um, passionate about seeing the church come to really its full potential and that it really wasn't, I think that um, at the same time, I also didn't want accountability. I didn't want authority. And um, millennials definitely don't like to fall under authority, and they don't like people telling them how to live their life unless it fits what they want to hear. And so I think a lot of people have left church. Obviously, a lot have left because of genuine hurt and genuine mistakes that the church has made. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. However, the reaction needs to be, we, you say, with the church to make it better. If you want to change church culture, like if you really want to see the church change, you have to be part of it. You can't just start your own island, you can't start another church, that just feeds the brokenness uh, of, the de- of the denomination cycle where I don't like what you're doing so we am going somewhere else. But so really, if you wanna see church change, you need to be the change within the church. You know, I mean, I think all, all four of us probably have things about the church or, or churches that we go to or we attend that we would definitely change or not want to do this way, but we see the bigger picture that, that, that to be that change, requires people knowing that we love them and that even though, yes, maybe we're a little critical, it's because we want to see the church be the best potential version of the church because ultimately we believe that the church is the hope of the world. I mean, that's what is the hope of the world when it's in its best is the church. You know, you want to see, you know, reconciliation, you want to see poverty get lower, you want to see um, people come to know Christ, you want to see drug addicts become free. It's the church when it's operating in its strength. But when the church is not operating in its strength, we come across divided, we're too political, we're too embedded with with, with with money, we're too embedded with systems, we don't want to shift, we don't want to adapt, and so it creates all kinds of problems. Yep, that's you, all I'm, I got. I'm,
3: no, I'm, <laughs> hey man, listen, I was about to pass the plate, man. You're you, you, you right,
0: <laughs> you're right, man. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Get, you're get absolutely you
2: some right. more tattoos, Tim.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm going in tomorrow in theory. We'll see if it happens. So, uh, but listen, Pastor Carl, thank you for coming on, man. I mean, having you on the podcast is great. These conversations hopefully are happening in other places, you know, but they're so necessary. The church, like, like we all agree on is better when we're working together and we can celebrate differences we can celebrate diversity and like you said we can be part of local bodies that we like and that were and that we culturally fit into and we can still love the church around us that isn't that way and that's a great thing
3: absolutely we all bring value to each other you know at the end of the that's day right. we all bring tremendous value our differences is actually what allows us to cover more ground you see what i'm saying so like instead of us trying to you know convolute them all together. It's just like, Hey man, no, listen, let, let us embrace our differences. And then at the yes. same time, you know, we can fellowship, we can kick it, we can serve together, really enjoy each other's presence and really build relationships, meaningful relationships. Um, and, 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 you know, again, like that's, that's really neat. That's what needs to be our focus. I just, yeah, it's, it's a mess, man.
0: <laughs> and well, the good news though, is that when you, when people break down um, the wall of technology the internet talking points the news and they just meet in person and they have real conversation you're they people always usually come away much more understanding of someone else's viewpoint that maybe they thought originally they would never be able to see so i think as long as people are making the time to just know each other <laughs> get coffee hang out become friends and be able being able to step into someone else's world and just listen i think that we're all better off because of it so
3: that's real talk, man. We got to uh, i I'll say it often. We, we have to stop trying to seek to be right, but, you know, seek understanding, you know what I mean? And it's like, yo, if we, if we can just understand each other, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and I, I mean, I appreciate you guys, you know, having me on, um, love the dialogue, man. Me and Tim's like, we, we stayed in touch, man, ever since we kind of met and, you know, uh, and, and I appreciate that. Um, and I feel like, you know, us continuously having these conversations, uh, finding ways to connect. Um, building real meaningful, purposeful conversations and whatnot, having that dialogue is what opens the door, you know what I'm saying? Because ultimately, before we know it, you know, Tim will be linking up, connecting and connecting our ministries and our churches together, doing some work together. Um, and, 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 you know, I just always, my, my, my only takeaway from, I mean, well, my last thing saying, so I shut up. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, only thing that I want to charge anybody that's watching this With the responsibility of this is like really get involved you know really get involved like rob made an excellent point man and and i've said it tons of times but jesus was present he was present and it's like when we're present god can really utilize us you know we can partake in his process for transformation so it's like we cry about social justice and at the same time the church still lacks presence in the courtrooms you see what I'm saying, yep. like yo, I, I'm and I work with the justice system. I didn't even really get a chance to talk about whatever I do. You know what I'm saying, but it's like, and it's like that's okay too. But I'm just saying, like we still lack representation in the courtrooms. You know, we're not educating people, especially in minority communities, on why it's important to vote judges out. So, you know, Meek Mill had his ordeal with the judge and everybody was like rattled and mad about it because his judge was like giving him, uh, you know, a hard way to go because he was on probation. And now, you know, it's third people that had a conversation about reform because hip hop did it for a little pe- period of time. But yet a lot of minorities in the communities don't vote when those judges seats come up. They get 10 years in office. How many legal sentences you think some of those judges could give out in 10 years? You see what I'm saying? So it's not enough to be temporarily outraged and cry. No, but the church has to get back to holistically providing that information to people. If we're going to argue our, our, our political ideology and everything else with each other, what good does this do if we're not educating community? You know what I'm saying? And it's kind of like we want to be, you know, in this, in this fight to just be right against each other theologically or throw it into our system of theology. But no, we got to get people active in voting. You want justice in courtrooms. Okay, well, how about we get more Christians to actually show up the jury duty? So now when uh, uh, lawyers have to do jury selection, the jury's not biased and we can actually see justice prevail in courtrooms. This is how we get active and it costs nobody money. You see what I'm saying? But we have to literally be willing to be present. So it's like, yeah, man, can we, can, can we do a little less, you know, relying on the books so much and really just kind of, journey alongside of people in their experiences and, and I just feel like when we do that but that takes a, conser- a a serious effort that my man shout out to Uncle Don Draper it takes people to be like him to really be <laughs> yeah. present to say yo I really care I'm not paid to do this but I'm here and I'm going to stay here and like he said yeah. race it doesn't matter what color you are like you don't like as to, to your point Rob you you don't have to go with the ideology okay I need to, Uh, connect with a black person first and see if it's okay before I go into their community. Like, no, if you're literally going showing love, trust me, folk in the hood need some kind of love. They're going to sit there, ask you, you know, if you white, you a cop, no, or you want to help me, cool. You see what I'm saying? And, And you consistently show that consistency, man. Nobody's turning it down you know
0: what i'm saying rob how true is that last statement we uh we interviewed (laughs) shane claiborne in kensington i don't know if you know who shane claiborne is he's an author he's pretty well known in in christian circles he has a simple way yeah the simple way is like they're anyway we're sitting in a car in kensington because that's where he lives he lives in the heart of kensington Mm. we're waiting to go to his house and a guy comes up to us and goes are you the cops and i'm in a, a black nissan versa with no hubcaps i'm like no, man, I'm off the cops. Like I'm doing it. I'm. Talk- i meeting up with a buddy. Okay, just walks away. I mean, and literally, what you just said about me asking you the cops is completely true. <laughs> just a funny story I'm there
3: man. man I'm just there I'm telling you but you know I mean shout out to him man because Kensington man that's the walking dead down there man it's, it's, it's zombie land man Dude, you
0: gotta hook up with Shane Claiborne he's the real deal the real deal it. Um, the book he wrote a couple books um, one's on the death penalty called Executing Grace that's a great read mm-hmm. and his first book was called Irresistible Revolution uh, came out almost 10 years ago but like for me it changed, changed the way I viewed so much very active in the courts and very big on uh reconciliation happening like socially really great stuff but
1: uh, he's on a book tour right now with beating guns i think right there is he they're on they're traveling the country and they're taking guns and beating them into tools that can be
0: used Wow! i love shane i love shane yeah Uh, yeah, but it's great stuff text me
3: text me the books i'll definitely buy
0: yeah, I'll send you the information. I can text it over to you. It's great stuff. So, But yeah, man, thanks for coming on. It's really great. It's really great conversation. I think we, we should do it again. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. This is still big picture stuff. They're be great to get into some of the details at some point. I'm down.
1: Yeah, I'll just have to thank you because I have no idea what I'm going to name this episode. Because we talked about so much. <laughs> it's just going to be interviewing pastor carl that's what it's <laughs> going to be well
0: no rob rob we got to be hip and trendy and right now pictures and sneakers is trending so we got to put that in the in the subject <laughs> matter like somewhere very no, small aspect yeah. of what we talked <laughs> about <laughs> a five-minute segment is the title for like an hour and a half
3: podcast. yo uh, matt you know, um, hoodology
0: 101 there you go there you Hood go, go. <laughs> dude i love that hoodology 101 with pastor you know, Carl. theology uh, and hoodology there we go Dude, I'm I'm going to text you for titles when we're ready to post. So. Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming out, man. It was a great time. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you like it, do us a favor and rate us in iTunes. That really helps us out. Uh, we love your comments. So leave a comment below so we can uh, check it out and respond. If you like this episode, feel free to share it. Um, it just helps helps us get the word out. So thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next time.
1: Thanks for checking out the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus. But where's the water? What's your plan